a broader field and at that point I made policy seem like two good options. <coughs> and a lot of our community members are often thinking about MBA, MPP, MBA, yeah. both of them. How did you decide whether to study business or policy? So I think, uh, uh, so I initially, I think for me it was a much more practical reason. The uh, HBS had an early admit program, Kennedy School doesn't. Um, that was the reason I did it. Uh, retro, uh, I think one of the things that a lot of people should be aware of, there are a lot of dual degrees which are worth exploring. Um, I personally didn't pursue one because by the time I was actually going through my MBA, I was pretty sure my career would be in business. I worked in social enterprise and so actually got a very broad perspective and then for me it had become clear that business is what I found interesting. But joint degrees are absolutely worth considering and people should be very aware of joint degrees. They're, they, they're, they can make a lot of career sense for a lot of people. Now tell me about your undergrad years. Yes. Yes. Do and does everyone know what a two plus two program is? Yeah. All of you do. Wow, what a little class. But like, you know, how was college like? You know, how did you structure or did you not structure your four years? I, I did not structure my four years. Uh, it was, uh, uh, at that point, uh, so India has had very few two plus two admits. Uh, even now, it's not a very high number. My year was probably the largest, it was four or five, probably. Uh, so it was not it was, it was more like a moonshot, we just did it and probably mostly didn't get in, which is why I didn't structure my career around it. In retrospect, what like the choices I made ended up being very relevant for Harvard. So they often want um, you know, there is an engineering background that is helpful in applying, uh, there is I did a lot of debating which was naturally helpful. I did a lot of community engagement. I ran the membership program at IIT. I was also involved with a not-for-profit uh, mentoring medical students uh, in math and science. So to be honest, in my case, I didn't plan it. It ended up being a lot of things that appealed to power. Uh, I know subsequently a lot of people did try planning it. I, at least in the undergrad years, I have not seen it. I think Lugash was also a bit of a nobody knows why somebody got it. Because in India, the selection rate has typically been very low. So it's kind of hard to see what the pattern there is. But I think it's almost declining to one or two for the last few years. Right, right. No, that's, that's really interesting. We'll come back, come back to it. But Michal here is also an HBS student. So, uh, tell me, Vishal, well, how much of it was serendipity and how much was of it was planned? So, um, so, I actually, so I did law school, I graduated from law school in Sojipat, I did not last year. Um, I, so up until my third year, I was under such forward to law. In my third year, I started considering, um, you know, oh, maybe I want to do business, I want to do an MBA in life. So, I had worked, I done an internship in BC, which is where I started thinking, you know, the job was a lot more on law. And on campus, I used to work for a research center that was um, centered around entrepreneurship. And over there, I started a couple of things which I was really enjoying. And, um, you know, with my understanding, I started talking to lawyers who had done um, an MBA, and my understanding was that I need to do a couple of years in corporate law, probably MBA, trying to do that, then apply, um, you know, for MBA for five years into it. And then I happened to meet someone uh, in Bombay, which is where I'm from, in, from my school who had applied for 2 plus 2 in the year before. And he was like, oh, you should definitely check this out. I never heard of the program. And this was the beginning of my final year. So I had some time, I, um, you know, five, six months to do the application and everything. And that's when I thought, okay, you know, this sounds really interesting. Um, and like I was saying, you know, it's sort of, you never know what you need to get someone in 2 plus 2, the acceptance rates are. 
you know, really dangerous as well. So I thought, you know, it's worth a shot because I'm silly to lose. I'm still in college. It's not like I have to do anything special for it except for the G9. Um, so it did come about sort of randomly almost. Um, but yeah, it's definitely an interesting program. I think having that um, admissions cure has been over a year. So, you know, having that sort of secure or whatever, it makes it a lot easier to now plan my career. Accordingly, as opposed to being stuck in law for four or five years, not 100% happy, um, and then thinking about, okay, now I should apply to school. So, so far we've discussed two lessons stand out, right? Planning, or like, you know, like, it's not a movie that you can orchestrate. Mm -hmm. It's not a script that you can copy. So don't try to copy Amilashas as well. There's some common lessons that you might take from it. One of which, from Vishal's story, you realize when we read it, is that there were 10 internships, over five, five, four or five years, and not exactly all of them were planned one after the other. There was a concrete goal of serendipity, there was like a decent amount of work done there, and hence the entry made some sense. Typically, when a person is applying without it, without HPM, we normally discourage it and it's proven otherwise. So, you should have more experience, especially when you apply for an elite MBA program outside, unless you can demonstrate otherwise and you have the maturity uh, to, you know, uh, to stand out. That's usually not the case, hence, maybe the admission is popular. But you know, like later, when we do QA, you should ask them that. When did you start diving deeper into it and feel free to jump in anytime? Now, we have two very interesting people who had some experience before applying. So let's come to Shreya, who recently returned from London. Yeah. And uh, we're okay. very, very, truly grateful to you that I know you just love Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for the coffee. <laughs> but tell us your idea story. When you met him, when, how much of it was serendipity, how much of it was serendipity. Yeah, planning. so I'm, uh, yes, I'm into London Business School, uh, starting in August. Um, so yeah, I just came down, I had a big event over there, very interesting. So I think for me, I always knew, uh, during my undergrad, that this is what I want to do. It has to be MBA for me. Um, yeah, so it was more like a childhood dream, and I didn't put too much logic behind it. I think just intuitively, I always knew this is what I want to do. Uh, and everything that I've done after that has always been like, even like the job I took, and every move I made with the job, it is just so that, you know, you look good on my CV, I can talk about it, so that I can get my um, so that was my always you know, like hot start and everything I did was always straight to achieve that goal. So yeah, after after Stevens I did five years in a reinsurance company, it's called Swiss Reinsurance, we insured the insurance companies. Uh, they came to campus, yeah, it's very niche model, but very interesting I guess. But they came to campus, I got into the international graduates program. Um, yeah, and after that I got two promotions within the job I mean, I really tried to create them for myself so that I would be good on my CV for the application. Um, and yeah, just last year I applied for the B school. I think it turned out to be much tougher than I thought. I really underestimated the uh, process because yeah, GMAT is, is one part of it, like the academics. But I think I really underestimated the networking part of it. Um, when I went there, uh, I actually went to another last year just to meet them. Uh, to get a sense of, uh, you know, this is my application, what do you want me to do? So to, just to get feedback. And she told me that, I mean, I met the head of recruitment over there. So you have to plan this out, but it, it's okay, like it's easy to do that because they have these open sessions, a lot of these things have open sessions. You don't necessarily have to travel to London. I think that's just way too eager uh, because, you know, my family lives in London. Uh, so I just have LBS as my dream. Um, I didn't consider any other 
But you don't have to necessarily travel. They have these NBA open sessions in Delhi, Bombay, anywhere you want to attend. So she told me, the head of recruitment, that you would also help, like in addition to everything else that you've got, uh, you also help to maybe get an informal letter of recommendation from somebody who's been at LPS. And then really just started my, I was just one month away from the admission deadline, and that's where I really thought it was way tougher than I thought, because I was not part of Network Capital at the moment. I'd really fish out people, you know, who were alums from my college and school and who went to LPS, then put a meeting with them. I, I was working in Sydney and Bangalore at the moment. I came to Delhi just for the meeting, got that letter, went back. So, yeah, I would, I would just say that it was much tougher than I thought, but yeah, I think that it was felt. You had five million students when you applied? Yes. Four and a half when I applied, and then when I, by the time I ended, so you will see Abhilasha and Vishal, one kind of story. Uh, uh, she had a very different kind of story. But I will say from the recruitment standpoint, especially conventional recruitment, having some work experience like this is considered no work. So like this five years of specific that she applies to say a meeting or BCT or they will take it seriously, especially if it's tangible work. For many like for many startups and all they may or may not be very worried that they have the experience now. The natural job doesn't matter. Because look, MBA is means to that towards an end. Then you can do MBA usually not the end. You want something in therapy. So some of the other skills like that. Alik had another story. So Alik, why MBAs and where you are yeah, so for me, um, it wasn't as intuitive as you, in okay. the sense I didn't know that uh, I'll be going and doing an MBA. Um, so I'm from IPD and also a couple of years junior to Abhilasha, and involved in many of the same activities. And soon I figured out, <coughs> it's not that I didn't like engineering, but I only like bits of it, um, which uh, I like a lot. So for example, control theory or computer application, uh, some courses in computer, uh, computer science and engineering, I really enjoy. And I, uh, wanted to innovate on my own or to start things on my own. So I joined a fellowship which uh, allowed you that kind of uh, latitude. And it's still continuing, it's called the International Innovation Board, it's the University of Chicago Fellowship. Uh, but now it's more of a consulting model. In my year it was more of an entrepreneurship model. So you were embedded in a public sector unit, um, you were directly advising the chairman and you sort of had to build up your own way. So I thought that's a good way to uh, innovate, but also have a structure behind me, have a good salary, also explores a little bit in my first year right after college. So all those factors were, were playing in my head. Um, and post that, I did a startup, which didn't work out. Uh, and so I knew that I wanted to stay connected to the innovation space while maintaining, you know, a risk profile that I could actually work with. So I can't, I can't keep on, you know, doing a startup and not have enough in the in the bank. So I. Therefore, uh, I, I got this opportunity to work directly with uh, uh, Ms. Amitabh Khan, the CEO of NTI, and I took that because I knew that NTI was new about work uh, in terms of just uh, national policy making, but also uh, attuned towards startups and attuned towards technology, right? and they wanted to build up their whole technology work. So that was a very uh, unique thing. And soon after I joined, I realized that to actually make an impact, you need to understand the story from both sides. So one part of the story will be you acting from the government side, meeting everyone and understanding where the problems are, right? And the other part of the story is actually getting into the bits and trying to solve those problems, right? So that's what we need to enable because I think in the future as well, uh, more market forces are going to dominate in this country. And you know, you need, you need to, you need to uh, have uh, 
we need to have government play a role for remote people and I don't want to get into that debate but I think uh, you know these forces are even becoming more important in the social sector so it's more important to learn that learn data driven policy making and the thing that you need to do uh, what's the variety of choices that they offer and that's something that so I think there are two models to uh, most any programs will apply to one is a cohort model right and the other is more of a choice based model so I think HPS has a cohort model as far as I'm aware and the benefit of that is that you get to do everything with your classmates with very strong networks and that's what IIT Delhi was like for me IIT Delhi has a bunch of hostels and you stay in one hostel for four years so you make a lot of political networks and, and, and lateral networks and, and very powerful friendships right so um, I, I like that but what I did not like was the inability to choose so much about you know which forces I wanted to take and I did not want to so I did not want to take thermodynamics, but I had to do it, and uh, like I mean, I had to pass it. Right? So that was very frustrating uh, because uh, I would have rather spend that time on something else where I felt that I would use it later in my career. So who treats you more like uh, more, more, more more like I mean everything is choice based. So apart from your lead course, which is leadership uh, <coughs> development, you can choose your entire path in your MBA. Take courses which are slightly away from your field. Because I think in an MBA it's more about also uh, I want those two years to sort of uh, synthesize all the learnings that have happened but have not been made explicit. So you learn a lot by doing things but you don't necessarily synthesize them into, into general, general patterns that you can use in the future. So I think an MBA gives you that space uh, and, and so that's why I mean all of those combined that's why I yeah. yeah. um, So Abhinash, what, like, what was B-School really like? Um, so I think for me it was, so there was a couple of, you know, I was in three categories of realization for me. Um, first was um, international, right? Uh, it's actually very different doing um, an education uh, in the US as compared to India. I started at IIT which had a few courses which may have prepared me for what was to come but it was, it was very different. Uh, HVC um, in particular has a case-driven model where you discuss cases as a lot of 50% of your brain is on class participation. Um, that way, it part came more naturally and been debating for many years before that, but uh, just a degree of writing, uh, just like sharpening those skills and just having a point of view and being able to back upon it was something that it was very interesting to learn in a very multicultural classroom. Uh, so that was one dimension of it. Uh, the second was that I had had very, uh, so I worked in a startup in the education space before this, so I had very focused experience and I wanted to diversify, which is actually quite different from a, local, a reason why a lot of people get MBA because they actually often done consulting on investment banking, which is broader and they want to go narrower. But I think MBA supports both, it just depends on how you structure what you're ordering. Um, so I tried, like, uh, you know, contrary to a lot of very different advice, I tried very different things. I tried finance, entrepreneurship, life sciences, which is where my current career is in. Um, so that was the second dimension uh, that I, you know, found really interesting. That for me, uh, I am, by the way, it was not completely unstructured uh, exploration that can be challenging. And, but could potentially have very significant downsides. I had a few hypotheses that I was testing out. And um, so the HPS helps that because the first year is it's called required curriculum. You have to do everything you ask you to do. The second year is elective curriculum. So you choose all your courses and that's where the first year allowed me to dabble, you know, get some perspective. And the second year I was able to test a lot of my hypotheses out. 
my current career shift was like very much linked to that, uh, you know, as well. The third thing I think a lot of very few people talk about this is city. Um, so HBS is in Boston. Um, Boston is also like the hub of colleges. Um, I spent a lot of time at MIT, spent a lot of time at the Kennedy School, spent a lot of time thinking of the Boston ecosystem. Um, and that really shaped what I did. I currently work in a startup that's using a written AI driven platform for early stage research in a pharmaceutical company, so AI for drug discovery. And a lot of that shift was was, was driven partially by HBS, but also was like driven by the city I lived in. Um, so I think those were the three things that I've always found very like the city part I would not expect it at all. But cities have characters, Boston definitely has one. So from this part you should look at the fit is really important for business. For example, the case method that I'm actually just spoke about, some people really, really struggle with it. You're a guest who who really struggle with the famous words of anyway. Brother Brother. The former CEO of Mickey. So if you read his autobiography, he describes in great detail why people or at least professors don't think that hey, you have such great ideas, but somehow you never speak it class. And if you don't speak it in class, you don't get class participation. You don't get class participation. Oh, your brains go He was just like he was just uncomfortable speaking in the groups. Like he doesn't in the book he doesn't say that it came very clearly when he was an introvert. But he was alluding to it, it was my yeah. So you should pick your school as Alibaba said over method of export provider. Really well. But in the second year, Rajat Mr. Bozer explains how, with the help of his professor, he started speaking in class. And then that professor recommended him to McKinsey after he was rejected. And then you know, so, so the story here is that unless you have people who can really vouch for you, like another class, professor who has been increases grade, eventually he had to get a second shot to McKinsey, and he left McKinsey. For you, that's also a subtle aspect of business. The kind of uh, meaningful bonds that you build, whether it's friends or professors, I'm sure we yeah. come to that as well, is super I know, I think you already know some professors at home, so you want to talk some, some, a bit about what you've worked with them before. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, my fellowship team was with uh, Chicago Fellowship. Uh, the professor founded it, uh, Dr. Anupanai, got a chance to work with him on previous uh, and other things. Both at ISE, but also later. So, for example, uh, you know, he works at the intersection of uh, blockchain economics and how it works. I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff just by talking to him and reflecting uh, on some hypotheses you have that you can just begin to just, I mean, and it's humbling because a lot of the stuff that you thought you would have thought uh, is original. We just started in the moment. You'd say that, oh, that's already been done and it was done. Okay, fine. Right. So, then maybe something else. So I think it's important, uh, as you rightly pointed out, uh, to have backers, uh, and I think that's something that you should think about in your career as well. I mean, of course, there'll be recommenders, but uh, if I asked, if I performed the 360, and no one will, but if someone were to do that, uh, 360 degree evaluation, right? If people ask about you, uh, what would they say? Um, and that's not necessarily how you plan out your own career. I'm not saying like do your job thinking that it was by anyone. But just know that know that there that you need to have backers apart from your recommenders who can speak for your work in the future. Just one thing plug there so my ex boss was from Harvard, uh, which provided me a lot of perspective going into 
what I was getting into. Uh, I think the best thing he did for me was tell me every reason I could take it. It's very important to know that um, business schools are a lot about it. I, I know for the fact there are some schools I would even be able. I also knew people who were different to my father. So it's not just like the structure, the curriculum, the type of people it attracts. Um, and this is all evolving, so it's, it's, it's very important to do it. He had dropped out of Harvard, so I kind of knew every reason why I shouldn't go. And also how the demographic had shifted. So Harvard had had a significant shift in the last five, six years. Uh, before that, it might have been as miserable. Do you mind asking me a question? Who were your referees? Is, was that one of us? Yeah, so I had, uh, so my, uh, so I had applied when I was in final year of college. Uh, the, the work that I did, the not for profit, which became a startup, he was one of the persons I worked with. So he was ex Harvard, which, which helps, by the way. Your recommender was from the same school, that was a lot. And. They don't They don't really. I mean, like, they don't care. Yeah. Uh, he and uh, the second person was a professor, but that was usually uh, there. And then the third recommended to me to be on the group, but the two first two, you do two recommendations in college. And then your third recommendation comes in only before you join, uh, who is another of mine. But then that's not a decision making. That's not, that's just about. like finish up the finish paperwork. Up. Yeah. Look, so the key point is, and I'm going to ask each of them about their referee, but like from what Alex said, and then Alex said. You know, the referee, the reason that they ask for the referee, basically they want to know, is there one or two or three people who can literally vouch for you without a batting line? Like, they need to make a case for it. And if it is between that she's a leader, he's a spokesperson, you will not get it. Anywhere. If your letter of recommendation is a bunch of buzzwords, you will not get it. Unless and until that letter of recommendation is authored, is what after all. So I'm removing extreme celebrities from the case. By the way, you'll be surprised they, like some people do get better than the recommendation from, from massive celebrities. <laughs> For example, one, one person in network captain got a recommendation from KT Tech. Because that person worked very, very, very good. But usually for mere models, that usually doesn't happen. That person needs to make a case for Like, are you comfortable to talk about your efforts? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm going to do this in my box. So obviously I have to as soon as I join the organization, you build up your credibility to do your work. That's I think something that anyone who's in the professional sector would understand. You try to do your work, uh, uh, you know, you try to approach it uh, not just in terms of what's being told, but in terms of how that work will really help the organization in the long term. And that's what if your if your if your referee is a leader of that organization and they feel empowered by the work you're, you're doing, then they're more likely to uh, to <coughs> Uh, the other element of course was again someone uh, I got an option to work closely with uh, was, uh, I, I mentioned, uh, uh, Dr. Malani. And the reason was that in the first year of the fellowship, he was the founder and he was the first inaugural year. So therefore it was, there was a lot of like um, feeding issues in terms of how do you even manage a team, how, how is it embedded in a government organization, what's the status. And so uh, I, I sort of went the extra mile to start to try and help with that. Otherwise, I wouldn't have got that particular recommendation. Uh, and what happens is that you need to have specific examples, uh, which, which is something that uh, as soon as you guys get to, get to write in your application, you'll, un you'll understand. Which where, where the recommender talks about. So if the recommender is only seen from afar, like if the recommender is the boss of your boss of your boss, and he knows that, oh, this is a bright kid, he's doing a lot of good work, that won't do. Right? Because they will, they will have no examples where they will speak about 
and it's a situation where you were there and you tangibly made an impact and without you something would have gone south or without you would have just remained status quo and that really big team would have happened. So, so somebody has to uh, really work with you and that person has to be recommended. I don't think, in my case it worked out that the recommender was also someone who was well known. But I don't think that's the biggest factor at all. Yeah. Uh, from all of my, all of the people that I know about it, with great schools, it's really being a person who really knows them and can, can, can write in detail about that is, that is the rule of thumb of record. Also, just to be when I went to celebrity, I went to globally recognized celebrity you see on TV every day. Yes. So, some people call out to go get recognition, but most of us won't. So, it's important to have a little back for you to write the story and not something just casually goes off. That does not work for us. So, Michal, who referred to the audience? I had, again, since I've had my final year of university, I had two people from the university itself. Uh, one was the vice chancellor of the university. So Jinnah, when I joined five, six years ago, was a very small university, so everyone knew everyone. We were in close contact with all the professors, VC, everyone. Um, last year, he interviewed me for a couple of things. So there was a Jinnah that's a startup in the for Hawaii for an internship, and he was, um, the final interview was the VC. And he interviewed me for that, and we got chatted after it. And he had actually come to Hawaii when the internship was going on, and I spent some time with him over there. Um, so we, I spent quite a bit of time with him. He also, um, he was a Rhodes Scholar, and he had been in Harvard Law. But um, I thought that to help, plus the fact that he knew me. Last year, um, when I got into Jindal, I got into a couple of the other national law schools as well, and at that time, Jindal didn't have best reputation at all. Um, not really much of that so I gone out to see the campus and when I went there I met him and he was um, we were just chatting about what exactly I was looking for from the law school um, especially you know coming to Sony Partners and really detail and just generally what his vision for the um, university was and we so, you know I know him since actually before I go to that as well. The second um, recommendation I got from my professor who ran my entrepreneurship centre. So he started the cell, he's from the US, he started the cell in the second year of university and I worked with him throughout and we tried to send out to him as well and um, we, were, we still do a couple of things together. So we got really close and like I was saying, I think what um, so he showed me the recommendation after he submitted it, he sent it to me and there was one part I was reading where he, so I, I had no recollection of this memory, um, of this instance, but he basically had, right at the beginning, he had given me some negative feedback and he wrote about how I responded to that feedback. And this is something I, I didn't remember at all. But I definitely think that would have made a difference because it definitely shows how well he knows me. Um, and also just generally, you know, how much time we spent together. We also worked on a lot of things together as I spent four years doing that mainly in college. So I think that was very helpful, you know, regardless of... I mean, there were a lot of professors at Jindal who had gone to Harvard, who had taught me and all of that. But I thought, you know, no one on campus, especially the professor who knew, knew me better than he did, and I thought that would make a huge difference. Yeah, so for me, it was uh, one that was my ex-boss. Uh, he was the managing director of the India office, and I worked with him one-to-one -one because I was the strategy associate to him. And the other was the global head of my uh, international graduates program when I was in Zurich. Uh, so I thought it was a good mix because I had one lady from Switzerland and one, I mean, not, not putting a gender mix, but then one person from Switzerland and one from India. And then also I think 
uh, the global head of the grads program was talking more about when I just entered after college. So she was talking more about my initial one to two years and it was more academic because at that time we were doing more presentations, papers, etc. And then the MD talked more about um, you know what I did uh, in my year three, year four, how I developed my business skills. So I think it was, you know, it didn't look like it was like uh, like a copy paste, you know, both of them. They both talked about very distinct experiences. I think one thing which really helped me was uh, the MD. Uh, he was very forthcoming and he actually sat with me. We had a one-hour session and we really talked about, he gave me a lot of ideas that you you have not put in these kind of things which will, you know, look really good. And I think it's a lot about storytelling. So uh, in your application, you know, you have to really balance out, you have your essay, you have your CV, and you have your recommendation letters. And space is very restricted, at least for LBS. I think NCR has 10 essays, but we had just two with 500 words each. And you have to put in as much as you can show different uh, experiences. So whatever I could not fit into my essays, I told, you know, I wrote in this letter, and then he kind of, you know, added more to it. So I think you have to use that space very wisely and uh, I think we'll come to that but just very quickly you should be you know, looking at different criteria which should definitely go in there. Maybe it's covered by your recommendation and your own uh, essay but it should talk about your work ex, your development uh, growth tra uh, trajectory that you have in your work, of course your academics um, and then you know I think international experience uh, at least I thought was very important for areas. I, I don't know about others. Many of these schools don't really care something a lot. Um, then I would say uh, leadership potential, uh, which I struggled a bit with because I wasn't really uh, you know, managing a team or people. So I had to show different projects which I was leading and uh, different things that come into that sphere. And I think the social impact can also help. So I ended up doing a lot of CSR initiatives in Kenya uh, through my phone, in my final year. Again, it was just to get uh, engaged. Yeah. I'll be advice. Like balance to do, um, and I was also trying to 
so, so there was the, so there was the writing process which started from speaking and writing uh, very un you know un uh, not so clear by word limit and then word limit. I think one thing I do a lot of people's essays and people get wrong is they forget what the broader picture is. If they write three or four essays, it doesn't seem to be talking about the same person. Like if, if like you start like it just seems very manufactured after a point and I'm like, so what is your story? Like after like if you talk about especially if you have monthly essays, you should be very careful. But it's not just your essays, it's like like you know, there are so many different dimensions to it. It can be stuff like your recommendation, your CV. They need to have a story done to it. Yeah, and if you don't have that, I think that for me has been the most like common reason I've seen applications fall apart. <coughs> Each of them like mutually seem to make sense, but together make no sense. I think just to add one point to it, I think it's good to have a good balance. That's what I really learned. So obviously you are applying to a school, obviously they're looking at your you know potential, professional potential and they want you to get hired by the best company. So they obviously you need to sell those points, but at the same time so you need to balance that with you know, don't make a caricature out of yourself and really do express your authentic you know, strengths and uh, really come let your personality shine. Uh, yeah. For the best class that they can get, yeah. right? And that's the difference in India. If you hit that bar, no matter, no matter that 99.5 in CAT or 99.9 may may not make a difference in terms of outcomes. They will still prefer the 99.9 guy because it's an objective metric. And they say, look, we don't care if it's not an objective metric. We we are we put a lot of faith in our admissions committee, and whatever they decide, we'll do. So therefore, you're trying to make yourself as unique as possible without turning yourself into a caricature, which is, I think, very important. And how you do that is, uh, you don't try to overemphasize points. You don't try to come across as a leader. You try to just tell a story uh, about yourself. And so it, for me, it was relatively easier, I admit, because I used to write fiction uh, in college and generally. So for me, it was not so much iterative. And in fact, when I iterated, sometimes it would become less better, I, I would feel. So, uh, but I don't think that's necessarily the right, you have to find your own mechanism to, to be able to uh, write these essays. So I would suggest starting on time exactly. and then sharing it with others. But I think the second part is that you're not the one who's going to critique your essay sitting in your room, right? The person who's going to critique your essay is going to be reading through 20 essays uh, in, in a day. And so try and anticipate that mindset and read the essay from that viewpoint. Uh, if you're actually going to critique it at all. Uh, because you uh, are going to critique it knowing a lot about yourself and even a nuanced point there in your essay which to you really hits home. You know, if you think it's, this is like a shot out of the park, this is something that really tells my story, I may not even understand it. We could do it in a speed reading 10 minutes. So that's the second part. Uh, 
So I, think I just feel like you have to put it out to them. Like, you know, they should not be reading between the lines and, you know, trying to find out this is, okay, so this is, you know, this is the one key takeaway after reading that entire paragraph. They should not keep, you know, uh, using their time to, like, second guess, okay, this is what this person is trying to say. Just put it out there. What should really excite them about you? It really has one to be test, One test that I thought was useful <coughs> is that once you write an essay where you really put your personality into it, you'll feel slightly embarrassed but it's going to a third person. Yeah, it's really you know, you read it and you're like, really, am I sending this out? And I think that is a good test that you really put in something of yourself there. And I, what, what, what I heard that admissions committee is really like uh, is, uh, is a little bit of personal storytelling. Mm -hmm. right? So this is not something that they're going to paste out. In fact, you sign a waiver form that this data is not going to be used uh, for any other purpose. So. Uh, don't be afraid of sharing personal details. So don't don't share too much of personal details. <laughs> like uh, your party and uh, badge attacks. But there's a very important concept in your lesson as well. So remember the three documents that you in Boston recently Three documents had safer products. If you're not embarrassed of the first version of the product you launch, that means you you not you missed out something. And if you launch maybe you launch a perfect product, if you launch two. So lesson here is two. And I'm and deliberately coming to Vishal after because his process was slightly different and I want to pay attention to One is that if you want to not get selected, first go through all the essays on the internet. There are essays on the internet, read all of them. <laughs> then do pattern matching. Oh wow, India gets me to X or Australia gets me to Y. And the third process of not getting selected is to send it to the people. If you really want to make sure that no school admits you a good one, do this. No other effort. Why? Because it looks like a kitchen. A bad taste. Because basically, what it is, we can have the buzzword there, this, that, and wow, this, this, we can never do that. They are interested in your story. Yeah. And uh, I know it might seem like, you know, because I've finished school five years back, it might seem like somebody just fancy who already has it. But anyway. Most people who get it, get it because they tell their story in, a, in the best possible format. And that best possible format is the final last mile finding. But I see most reason, most times people falter, and I know some people here who more than deserve to get it. And like, so somehow it didn't work out. One is that luck that you have. The other is that because you consult it with the wrong set of people. And second is that you consult it with a randomized set of people. So first five, first rule of thumb is you will should not consult with somebody who is directly not culturally experienced. Rule number one. And second is that you should not have somebody to who doesn't know you reasonably well. Because that person will somehow not appreciate the nuance. However, there's a catch. The person who sort of knows you well will also make something that implicit understanding. Oh wow, yeah, or oh, I know that you would have put up in Asha respect. But a reader might not. So that's that's a good balance. Yeah. So my process of any any of these things will be a combination of all the three plus what Vishal is just about. Look, most eighty-five percent of the work on the essay needs to be yours. If your first essay and your last essay are telling a completely different story, that means there's something not adding up. Especially if you have thirty days to submission. That means it's a cross the line. Uh, you know, a good day you better for a bad day you don't. You don't want that situation. 
Right? That's what started the link. But your first sentence should be dismissed, and your last sentence should somehow be linked in an ideal case. It may not be that it should be the expert. But yeah, I know your process was slightly different, and if you're comfortable, I would mind if you share your GMAX code as well. So, um, uh, no, yeah, so I agree with what everyone is saying, especially with keeping it authentic and all that. Um, the whole approach was saying, and I agree, but I never really saw the one who read my essays and I've done that year before. And uh, everyone who read my essays was very close to me as well. Um, I didn't know what that was like, so. Um, but, um, so the HBS essay um, has changed, like Abhinash was saying, it's just one essay, no word limit. Uh, but no like specified word limit, and it's just what more. Like, basically, they say that okay, we have your resume, we have your recommendations, we have your grades, we have your extracurriculars. What more would you like us to know about you? Um, and I think that's an interesting question. You know, it's a lot easier when they like tell you, okay, um, what is your motivation to come here? Um, or you know, whatever else to be a lot more specific. This is completely up in the air. It's like okay, do what you want with it, and that's no what you want us to know about you. A lot of what I wanted to know about is already in my recommendations or in my um, extracurriculars or you know, in your resume. Um, so that was interesting. So what I did, um, I'd like to um, sample as well for their version of the school. And so I, those are two schools that I applied to. So I started with the sample essay first because I ran a few years earlier. But basically, before I started either of them, I just one day I just had a document in front of me and I just put down all my thoughts um, very generic, not specific to the questions, not specific to what really um, anything, just why I wanted to do this, you know, why I wanted to business school, why I thought either of these schools could be a bit, big good fit for me. Uh, and then when I actually got down to writing the HBS essay, I picked up from that. You know, it was things that I had already um, written out about why I wanted to be there. I did, uh, you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, the most common question I get asked is, should we go to a counselor, or should we go to one of these missions, companies, whatever, and I always say no. I think that completely takes away from your own voice, or your own, you know, I say no harm in talking to actually people and getting an idea, but I would, you know, I wouldn't let someone else dictate what you be by essay. I think that's another reason I think everyone who read my essay was close to me. I, um, so I, when I started writing, my dad and my bossy, um, both of them excellent writers joined me, they both helped me, you know, say what I was trying to say in a much nicer way. Once I was done, you know, with draft that I was okay, I really like this, I think it's good. I started sending out to other resource friends of mine who stayed in and said, I do. Um, very often it would come back, like, you know, completely criticized, which I like, you know, there's no point sending you people over and everyone wants to be good, it's really great. And, just because they're close to you. Everyone I said to, you know, had constructive feedback. Uh, I didn't always take it. You know, um, like I was saying, if you show it to too many people, uh, you show it to one, five, six, or if you show it to too many people, then he said, Charles, if you might lose your own voice, so it might just come like a bunch of perspectives, you're just trying to keep everyone happy. I think it's important to know what you're trying to say, and then, you know, feedback might be relevant in like to a generic essay, but it takes away from your personality or what you're trying to say doesn't really um, make sense to remove it. So very often I would, you know, get feedback, which I would read the feedback, I'd be like, oh, this is really helpful. Go back to my essay and be like, oh, wait, if I change this, it sort of takes away from what I'm trying to say, so I don't want to do that. Um, so I think it's important to know who, what, when to sort of take 
that feedback and went on through. And also, I agree, in terms of knowing not that, oh, I know better than that, but knowing in terms of what you're trying to really say. Um, and, and yeah, and then at the end, and there was like one or two people I said who had never said an essay before, more just in terms of proofreading and just generally what's your opinion, you know, what would you, if someone said this to you, what would you, what would you think? Um, so I structured my essay sort of like that. In terms of writing, what I ended up actually writing, I ended up writing um, why I wanted to do an MBA. Of course, I put in the things about, um, you know, there are things you know that they are looking for. So in terms of leadership experience, so in terms of um, what about the experiences I had in college and also why I think I'm a good fit for HBS. Um, but I think also because I never, like I was just saying with ADC, I really planned for it. You know, I never, I never really planned to go to ATS. I never thought I'd even go to business school when I joined law school until my third or fourth year when I started thinking about it. Um, so nothing I'd done was like, oh, I went here so that I can apply or, or meet some jobs. I think that also helps keep some sort of, um, you know, just come across as authentic and like a real piece that when they're reading it, they're like, okay, he genuinely wants to be here, um, sort of thing. In terms of GMAT, so, um, so I did my team again when I was still in law school. So I used, um, and there was nowhere to really go for classes in Sony College, so I didn't go. Um, but I used something called the Economist GMAT tutor, uh, which I thought was excellent. You know, anyone who's asked me what should we do, I recommend that. Um, and I got 710. I gave it once and I got 710. I considered giving it again. Uh, I spoke to a few people who told me, and this was I given it in December and I applied to so there was still a decent amount of time. But everyone I sort of spoke to was if you've crossed that 7710 mark, um, giving it again, maybe you get a 740, but you'd rather take that time to spend on your essays. Um, <laughs> and I decided to do that. And it's a very personal choice. So, yeah. have all of you watched Alex's masterclass on GMI Pro? Why? Go and watch it today if you want to take the GMI Pro. You don't like it. You can see the not And Abhinashal's masterclass. Have you guys taken that or not? Yeah. And Vishal's digital marketing masterclass. That is a prerequisite for attending events. Because I don't like to repeat stuff. Okay. So, please make sure to do that. But in his masterclass, he talked about specific preparation as a company for GMI then what we did do is he's also taken the cat and almost got a full score. Right? So like you know, those kind of things are super useful. So let's let's make sure to do that. For GMAT here is the key. Statistically what I noticed is that low Indian GMAT score usually is not a good sign. I also find when I was trying to my score is 780. Our was also 780. But if you have a really compelling reason and if your story adds up and you're writing and can read your story. Even we suggest that you prioritize the story over the story <coughs> if you go crossing the threshold. Yeah. Just to take away also for two plus two, um, so I, I, I think, uh, at least for me, I don't know what you see, I think they tend to be a little more lenient in terms of your score just from the perspective, and I don't know how true this is, um, but I, I mean, I came from five years law school, I have not touched a math book thing. Till I decided, okay, I want to get the GMAT. My English percentile in the GMAT was 96 percentile, and my math percentile was 64 or 66 or something. And that, um, because the English percentile was so high, my, I crossed to 700. Um, but I think, you know, like, I, I don't know, I'd like to leave the fact that you come from law school. Because I've spoken to a couple of people um, right before who had uh, someone from Cambridge who had done law and then uh, gone to as well, and they had a, I think, 720. 
and uh, his understanding also seemed to be that you know they sort of understand the fact that okay, you haven't done this for five years. I don't know how true that is. You know, quote me on it. But then, um, you know, if you're giving your GMAT, just just give yeah. your GMAT. Yeah. And yeah. that's always the first step. That's always the first step. Uh, and everything else will will you will have to do in parallel anyway. So I mean, just look at maximizing your score. Uh, because I mean, for me, the performance was that I had to maximize it. I had a particularly horrible uh, CGPA uh, in, my, in my undergrad for, for the aforementioned reasons. I, I did not, I, I did well in classes that I liked, I did not sort of uh, want to do certain classes, it's even at that. But the thing is that then I was very concerned right, that I have to get my GMAT and I have to balance out my, uh, uh, you know, my, my, uh, my, my undergrad CGPA. But then, and I don't, and I don't agree at all, actually, with uh, not not talking to a consultant. Uh, I think what they do bring to the table, and, and a lot of them you can do free consultations with. Mm -hmm. yes. uh, and I think what they do bring to the table is someone who understands, who has seen so many applications, giving you advice from the vantage point of someone who doesn't know. And as Uttar Chaiti pointed out, I think you need to have people in different buckets giving you advice. You need people who are close to you giving you advice, and you need that third person also who knows, who has read so many applications that he knows the mindset of the person who reviews, right? Because he's seen so many succeed and fail. So if you find yourself, and, and that's why that's why I used uh, an admissions consultant, to actually help me, uh, give me feedback, uh, and tell me, uh, because because uh, from my college, uh, all of them, all of the people that I knew who were in the schools that I was targeting, were either like two plus two geniuses like Abhilasha, or they had, you know, they had a, you know, MBB plus some something else as a background. I mean, I would say 90% of them, right? Yeah. So sure. mine was very, very different. So I wanted to know how my profile stacks up and what else can, can I do to really uh, make my case as compelling for an MBA as anyone else. So for me, that process helped. Uh, and, and the admissions consultant was the one who told me that I, I was worried. I said I have a 770, but uh, I didn't sleep well that night. What if I get a 780 or a, perhaps a 970? Doesn't matter because for them it's a very absurd question. We will have you wetted to an alarm, okay? So don't waste your time, you know, with other people. We find people from colleges who will look at your application. And if you're going for a consultant, go for it. Go for a person like a Stacy man. Right? Where you know that whatever you're doing, that's it. What I don't want you to do is to spend time in between. And neither there nor an alarm. So that is again injury. Anything that is injury should be avoided for your application itself. So in any time, application, applicants and a reviewer actually mess it up. And some people, I know one person specifically who before the day of that person's interview was sounding ridiculous because that person was trying to include stuff that uh, the person you know, was trying to buy himself to say. So, you know, one, one needs to sort of also keep that kind of perspective in mind. Right? But last time, I was this this point, even I spoke to, before I started, when I first spoke to anyone once, I did to one of these free consultations mm -hmm. with one of the Counselors, and I think that really helped in terms of understanding what really meant to write an essay for an MBA. Um, so, I, yeah, I would definitely recommend that I was talking more about in terms of giving letting someone else dictate your essay or your interview. Um, but, yeah, definitely, you know, I mean, these guys have been doing it for so many years, they know exactly, they've seen people get it, they not get it. They might not be able to predict, but they know what goes into the essay. 
and what you know, what are certain boxes that you know you should be taking off in your essay. No copies is anyone. Yeah. Copy tour experience or have you know have uh, been vetted or you know one of the analysts be directly to someone. That's it. Yeah. As he said, they put you in the right mindset. Yeah. But then figuring out the application should be your own data. So if you try to make that for the learning theory, then you're asking for a so one perspective there is, uh, so I have a friend who was in a real similar situation. She just got into PCR after she left a consultant. Because the, uh, this was uh, not from my idea. But it was just somebody who's, who the consultant was sort of doing a half-assed job and a found like literally with her essay, I was like, hey, you shouldn't submit this because it just doesn't sound like a person. It sounds like a caricature because you like they put in all the buzzwords which is making no sense. I would also add it's helpful to talk to the people from the schools to understand what they want. So how in particular had an institution ran admissions like admissions record or admissions whose name was D Leopold? Everyone knew that D had a certain identity which had shifted. So now it's no longer run by D. I'm forgetting who the new person is, but he's a very different person. So, and I know that for a fact that that has shifted what they're doing. Um, they also treat the, uh, international admissions differently from US admissions. There's a, there's a certain pattern at work in place. So if you talk to an American, their experience will be very different to, from talking to an Indian. Um, I also, which is why I think admissions events are like very relevant to, I have not attended one. But I, I, I mean, I know how it's doing one, speaking at one on July 19th. Um, so I know HBS is doing an event there. And that's a good idea because they will also be able to sort of, they really hit the notes on what the school stands for today. Um, I know for a fact that it's even shifted from the time I applied. Uh, because D, used to, D was like more, D ran admissions a certain way, and then once D moved out, it was like a different admissions. So, being aware of that, he was speaking to albums of people from those schools is really helpful. Um, and they're often very forthcoming. They'll tell you exactly what they're looking for. Uh, Shreya, and this was a question for all of you. How do you approach alums? Because I'm sure like all of us get a lot of questions or reviews to review an essay, give advice, it's humanly not possible to respond to ideas. What's the what are the ones that end up getting responses or how do you all read it? So, anyone. Uh, for me, because I really realized it was a key part for Elvis for me after I spoke to uh, the uh, So when I came back, I reached out on LinkedIn to somebody uh, from my school. Uh, because from Stephen, somehow, you know, in the current batch books, somebody from Elvis and uh, yeah. So I think what really helps is if you have somebody from your own college, your school, your company, establish a common connection. Uh, because you know it's not only just talking to them or reviewing, but at the end of the day, you also want them to maybe uh, send a very short recommendation note for you to the admissions committee. There has to be some linkage, you know. You can't just expect a completely third-party person uh, to be vouching for you, but on what basis? So it's always good to have a common link. Uh, and then if you reach out, I just found it was amazing because he actually took out time. He was in India at the moment uh, for London. Uh, he's taking a break and he actually came to meet me in a coffee shop. He's BCG consultant, worked on a remote campaign and also he's very much into consulting. So he actually did a proper consulting kind of a case, in case kind of a thing with me and he sat down with me for two hours in a coffee shop and he's like, okay, what, how can we make this work better and everything like that. I think they're generally very helpful. Just try to have a good thing. Just don't reach out to somebody very randomly. Maybe that can work, but 
I don't think it will be that fruitful for both the parties. I'll give a slightly flipped answer to this. I mean, it's been many years since I applied. I always like I used to go to school. So yes, you know, from the school that we went to, I would generally give the first response. Having said that, if you're a rude person who doesn't respect my time, I'm not going to give you the second response. Uh, I don't care if you're from my school. I, by the way, I have had enough people reach out who are disrespectful of my time. You can't like send me a vague note and if I tell you send me an email, not send me an email and then come back a month later and say my deadline is tomorrow, can you review this today? That's utterly disrespectful and it's happened enough times. Earlier I started off as being the golden like person of like I would review any request that came in. So I reviewed like tons of applications but after a while I was like you know, um, you know, I don't care if you're from IIT or any, but like if you cannot like respect my time, then you are not going to get a response. And this is very common. The second is please don't ask generic questions. If you could have researched this on Google, don't ask me. Yeah. Right? Like that's just a rule of thumb. Anything that's available online, you need to know. If um, you do not, then you are unprepared. You probably will not get it. So those people I just don't respond to. I also realize over time it's like I don't have that much time, so I can't respond to you if you just ask me like. Which is the website for application? I'm not Google. Yeah, there are enough people yeah, who yeah. ask like, very generic <laughs> questions, and not will not follow up on time. Don't have the courtesy to thank you. I'm not expecting you to like be very grateful to me, but I expect you to be like show courtesy. Uh, so that is that is there. This is very clear. Especially if you send out multiple multiple requests, I've seen people like mix up names. You're writing to me, where get my name right? Right? Like that's the basic gold standard of like <laughs> I have actually randomly helped people who I didn't know at all, uh, and that came from a place of does this person sound like a genuine, authentic person who's asking me a pointed question? And um, you know, in fact, I had somebody who reached, and I think now I realize it's probably point that person to you, Michelle, because that person had a law school background and. Was asking me about something, and I was like, "Hey, I can get you this far, but like, I don't. I'm not a lawyer myself. Um, but I think like so, pointed question helps uh, realize how much I will do for you without having a prior connection. I will not sit and read your first draft. I will only read and write the first draft of a very real friend. Um, so those are just like just understand, be focused on your question. Um, just be a nice person to deal with." <coughs> Uh, and I can't stress how painful it can be. Like people who just go radio silent or send you something one day before deadline. I would do that for like maybe three people in this world, and like clearly that person. And that isn't a random LinkedIn. It's not. And but I, to be fair, the random LinkedIn does work. I think I check my LinkedIn regularly. I do sometimes. But it just depends on how. But it needs to be crafted a certain exactly. way. Exactly. You need to make it easy for the other person to respond. Yeah. You know, because the person wants to, like, when the person checking with LinkedIn, yeah. like, if a person is busy, then between the, between times of travel, yeah. between these, you want to make it so simple for them in order to respond that they want to. Yeah. And in the same level, they sort of respect me. That yeah. person has done a basic amount of work. I will respect and reply to this person. The other is thank you. Please send a sincere thank you request. You'll be surprised how few people do it, and you'll be surprised at how everyone remembers it. Yeah. If you forget a thank you, you have missed an opportunity. Thank you. Thank you note is free. People can tell. Especially people get a lot of thank you notes. They tell which is a sincere thank you note and which is a thank you note that you send to the checkbox. Go and send it.
and this is only, I know most of you will get into top schools, business schools, and otherwise. Please make this a habit. Send sincere thank you notes. It will be, it's a nice thing to do, but it will also help you professionally earn a lot. Now that with the thank you note, let's come to the interview. So, how was your interview? How did you know that first? Um, yeah, it's really interesting. I don't know how the other schools interviews are, but um, it was exactly half an hour. So when I got the mail, um, they they didn't have any options for Skype or doing it in Bombay or doing it in India or anything like that. Um, and at that time, I didn't the date, so I examined the age worked out, and I thought my main middle exams. So I usually start googling, um, oh you know, can I do it on Skype and stuff like that. I spoke to a few people. Um, as well, and then everyone sort of recommended that oh, if you can go there, they will try doing it on my Skype. And um, you know, so whatever day or two later, my exam dates came, and it actually happened to be in the period between like a study period, study leave. So I had a few days that I could actually go there. Um, and when I was thinking about it, when I was talking to people about it, the sort of understanding I had was that it's exactly half an hour long, um, and this is too bad, 30 minutes out in the middle of the hour. So, and they stop me. Um, if it's or if you're on site, if your internet is not working really well that day. Um, also, what's interesting as to about HBS is that within 24 hours of your interview, they make you write a reflection. Um, and what a couple of people told me that I thought made a lot of sense is that if you're doing it over Skype, your reflection is going to be that much harder um, as well. And since I had that opportunity to go there and study, I was obviously very keen. Um, so I did actually end up going there for my interview. They had a lot of, um, and by then I connected a couple of, you know, common friends and whatever. One or two people, um, one or two people I connected with was giving their interviews. So I happened to meet them. So one of my seniors from school um, connected me to a professor at ATS also, who I met the day before my interview, who was extremely helpful. Um, so you know, I think. Going there definitely made a big difference. In those two days I was there seeing the campus, meeting that professor, whatever, meeting a couple of other kids who were also there, it really made a big difference in um, you know, how I approached the interview. Um, for the two plus two, interview is slightly different because they don't really have too much to ask you about uh, in terms of work experience or you know, growth after you've graduated or whatever, because you're still in at the time. So they, they had a printed copy of my essay and a printed copy of my resume in front of them. And um, you know, I think it also really comes down to luck. But the first question they asked me about was about the research center, which I spent you know, four years. One of the things we started over there was this program for Tibetan refugees, this entrepreneurship development program. And um, they asked me about that. And um, you know, again, I think one thing that really helped over there was that. I, I, mean, I hadn't been prepared for that question and the lot of theirs I didn't prepare for, but they asked me, oh, tell us some of the entrepreneurs you work with. And one thing we do at the center, we stay in touch because I had this thing called the Legal Entrepreneurship Cell, where we help entrepreneurs with legal work, um, legal research um, for free. And so for the Tibetan Entrepreneurship Development Program, I was constantly in touch with all the entrepreneurs helping them with you know legal issues along the way. So immediately as soon as they asked me, I was like, oh, you know, I'm still in touch with this person, this person, this is what they're doing, this is our health, all of that. So I think the fact that, you know, it wasn't something randomly had written, but something that I've actually done. And because anything, you know, a lot of people have noticed on their resume like things, and I asked them about it, like, oh, you know, we did this one summer. Um, I think that would definitely put them off. This was something I've been a part of, genuinely, for many years. 
Um, so when I start speaking about it, um, you know, it comes across genuine. Second thing that I thought, uh, which you know, a couple of people told me as well, was that you only have half an hour, and you don't want to go on about one question. So even though there'll be a question where you have loads of things to say, try focusing on what you think is the most key things, and then giving them an opportunity to ask you something else. Um, and also, I mean, I think by, and again, I don't know what this is like, but by directing your answers in a certain way, their follow-up questions will also tend to be about a certain topic, and I thought that was very helpful. You know, knowing exactly how I want but not that you can prepare for it, but based on the question, just knowing, okay, this is the part to end, because then they're going to follow up. You don't want them to feel like you're the only person talking, and then are an opportunity to ask you about I just want to talk about the HPS interview piece because I think a lot of the things are similar. Uh, one of the best pieces of advice anyone gave me was preparing answers on cue cards, which were like really small. It forces you to have a lot of brevity. Like you just have so much time. You can only write so much, you can only speak so much. Uh, another thing is it's a 30 minute interview that a lot of people said it's, it's a 7 into 3 pattern or something like that. Each, they'll, they'll, they'll cover 6 to 7 themes. And within each theme, they will go like two to three levels deep. So in my case, like they'd be like, um, I, I interned at IDCA, I didn't know about that. Um, so they would say, so tell us about it. How did you react to that and that? So there is a certain, it's not just a question and then jump into another question. They had two to three levels of like trying to verify their story adds up. And then they moved to another theme. So you have between like, you know, depending on how, from to our in your responses as well as how it's trying out, I think they typically cover five to seven themes and go two to three levels deep. Uh, and that was just a helpful recognition. It forced me, like the cue cards is one of the best pieces of advice anyone ever gave me. And also, I did it over Skype. So, for those of you who do it uh, via Skype or something like that, make sure you have an amazing internet connection. I did it out of the uh, senior dean's office at IIT. Because I knew anywhere else the internet connections were going to be patchy. Uh, so I did it through that. Uh, and uh, prepare doing interviews via Skype or they do it because it's a very different experience. You, it is a bit weird to be able to see like people in a different way. So I've seen a lot of people get thrown. They don't know where to look. <laughs> no, there's a camera look there. I don't look in other directions. Uh, so, depending on whatever your medium is, make sure you practice that really well. In just very quickly, we come back to Alec and the news. So, in the LBS, we have video interviews. Yeah. Uh, one component and the other is in person. So, yeah, that's very true. Like, when I look at myself, I'm just, oh my god, like, you know, it's so huge and I have to, like, really just talk to myself. So, yeah, that's, that can happen. So, you prepare for everything. Yeah, it just says. How do you most prepare? Sorry? Like any advice you need to do? Interview also. LBS is very different, I would say. Uh, we have one video interview, actually two video interviews. One is a set question for which you get to prepare and then just say it out like a speech. Uh, and the other, any random question can just come online. Uh, so that happens first and kind of really prepares you for the in-person uh, interview to come. I think for me, I really prepared quite a lot, which wasn't even required, now I feel. Uh, but I just like went online and I saw like the top 20, 30 
And for that, you know, it's important to have a good and interesting conversation with that person. So approach it from that lens. Uh, and, and, and don't don't uh, be afraid of saying, I don't know. I mean, that's a standard advice. If they ask me a question where I did not feel like I have enough knowledge to answer, I would just say that I don't think uh, I know that much about it, but I'll take a crack at it. I had offers from Water and my story is slightly different because I was basically looking for bad policies. Applying to business school for me on the last minute. Second, I was very young. I was at the Young India Fellowship first time, but I was only 24 now. So I did teach for one, consulting one year, Young India Fellowship, and why I'm at the fellowship I had little work experience, and so I had my GMAT score was high that time. But for me, it was a mistake that I was making. For all of them, different preparation was that I, I had I assumed that the person was understanding the context that I was talking Especially when I used to speak about each frame. Because you know, you tend, especially for things that you care about, you tend to assume that the other person also cares about it and understands the context that you operate. So, like my coach at that time was somebody at the young India Fellowship, uh, who is now a like, close mentor of mine. Like that person said that you tend to assume a lot. And because you're articulate, it sounds like you know, like, like people are really engaged, but you know, when they reflect, they'll feel like, oh wow, what did he say? What did he mean by that? So then he told me that you don't do too much. Just make sure that you spend the first one minute explaining what you're talking about and then dive. So just that piece of advice was precious to me in all the interviews. So now at that time, they say you should do two alarm interviews. One is a good talk, one is a bad talk, usually. Wharton at that time was 30 minutes, usually in some day they had costs. The question was what Walmart knows, like why are you lying, what are you doing? They assessed for different kinds of things. Cornell was also an alumni, person sits down. Cornell now has an interesting Cornell tech program as well. So a lot of you who are looking at it's an interesting program too. So I would also say that Abhilam had a very few products. Plus, for people like to tend to assume that the other person also knows and cares. These two things usually hold well. And you know, Alek's argument, as you can say, like all these four people are here. But Alek, one day before his interview, was not sounding like Alek at all. And I do think that was because of, to some extent, over preparation, to some extent, it's like trying to you know, just well, make yeah, sure. I'll tell you exactly what it was. It was listening to about five more people than, than I should have. So, I mean, I had five people who were, who were giving good advice, and then I sort of broadened the net. And these are people who are all well-meaning, but they didn't know me well enough. And so they said, but have you really thought about this? This doesn't strike as a logical thing to me. And you, you know, they were like, oh, then this is my YFB answer. <laughs> That's not what I <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, different people have different thoughts. And so they, they were like, okay, but nowadays this uh, entire space has changed. So, you know, people will say that, how will you even do this? But then I realized if the interviewer says that, the interviewer is trying to provoke you into an answer. And you'll have some answer, right? But rather than, you know, change your entire story, right? You're trying to hedge, you're trying so that they can't answer. That is the wrong strategy. So I, I adopted a wrong strategy, which was to preempt every question. And then, then, then there's no point having a conversation, right? Then you're like, then might as well write it down on a piece of paper and put it, uh, give it to the interviewer. What's the difference? So that's, that's right. So you know what I'm um, you boost this my ears in this analysis, but so after the interviews, uh, they had like an open house session afterwards, and they said that uh, so I think there were around 1400 applicants, and they called 200 to the interview, 
and then they picked about close to 100. And they said that, you know, all 200 open call to interview on paper are good enough to make it, but we can only take 100, so the interview stage is not about who we choose, but it's who we can eliminate. And I thought that was very interesting because then it really comes down to, I mean, especially because HBS is fully case study method, you know, um, they do, I mean, when you're in, the way the interview works is you sort of, they give you a slot, you come and they make you sit down, I mean, everyone comes like half that whole time, so you're sitting down with many other people who are also there for the interview. Uh, everyone's obviously very nervous. And then uh, when it's your slot, seven or eight, I think eight people, uh, they call you up. And then we're all sitting up for like 10 minutes. And then one by one, like an interviewer comes out and like calls one person in. And so then you're waiting to be called, which adds to like the entire thing. Um, and then I had um, two, so usually it's just one person asking questions. Uh, in my room, there were two people, but one person asking questions, and the other person was just sitting there making notes, um, which is, yeah, it's kind of a fun setting. That happened to me in my undergrad, though. That happened in Steve. Yeah, so that was really uh, They so called me for the IC news, I was doing that to people, I felt bad. So Dee Leopold took my and then she had someone else taking notes and she kept asking questions and honestly I couldn't, I got out of the interview and I remember I called her parents and they were like, oh how do you go? And I was like, I have no idea. They didn't have any indication, they were completely like, you know, that they didn't smile and nothing, nothing changed, they were just asking me questions. Uh, one by one, and then you know, I was in the middle of an answer. They were like, okay, nice time, time's up. I mean, that was, that was it, you know. So, I had absolutely no idea. I think it's really important that you don't let that throw you off, you know, um, because they are obviously trying to throw you off, see who does well under high pressure situations, who's going to do well. Um, I mean, obviously, it's very one on one interview was like sitting in a class of 100 people trying to talk, you know, in case I mean, I thought it's very different. But they did say in the opener that, you know, I mean, they're trying to see how people react under different situations, um, how well you can like, speak, how well you can put across your ideas. Um, you know, one of the things the professor who I met today before my interview told me was that, you know, a lot of people have excellent ideas, great work, you know, great experience in college, great experience, all of that. Uh, but when, it's, when it comes to someone asking them a question, they get lost in trying to figure out how to put it across, and then that puts the interviewers off of the because then they believe that, okay, in a classroom situation where you're trying to explain, you're going to go on a whole different tangent as opposed to just um, getting to the point, which is really important for HBS. Um, so I thought that if something would take more to One thing specifically for HBS, I saw this with one of my best friends who applied a couple of years after me, was uh, the interview throws you off. Um, she was convinced she's not getting in, and you also have a 24 hour time bound thing to write a reflection. You have to sit and write it. Like you can't go into a zone where like this is over, my application is over, and she was in that zone. Um, and you know, she then took a step back, a lot of people counseled her to be like, you never know how an interview is gone, especially with HBS, you have to write the reflection. Um, and she got it. So like in general, just like you know, you could think it's gone disastrously. The reflection is a necessary part of the process. You can't just be like this is gone disaster and be back the ship. Uh, it's just worth remembering. Have your like, you know, usually for anyone who's done a good application, have four or five people who are really closely championing it. So like even when her application started going, like where she felt like the interview didn't go well, she knew she had to call me, she knew she had to call her brother brother, who was a boutalum, and we and she knew we could that you know we could give her judicious advice. So there's a broader pool that like works with you, but there are two to three core people. We can also take you up through the emotional ups and downs. 
uh, which is pretty critical as well. So these three are going to start soon. So just Abhilasha what's like after MBA? And I'll wait a little bit. So, uh, so my uh, situation was very interesting because I, like said, was diversifying. I decided that I wanted to, uh, I spent a year doing innovation consulting um, for a year after that and I wanted to diversify the life sciences. Um, very hard. It's, it's a very niche area, very difficult to get it. It was serendipity. It was somebody I knew who was running a company whose co-founder was based in Cambridge and uh, he wanted, he was there, this was a completely tech science company who were trying to make their first business higher. Uh, very much driven by uh, the fact that I was, I had the, what was interesting for me was that I had to interview with the board because I was interviewing for a BB level position so the board had to sign off on my uh, hire. Um, street cred, like HBS just gave me street cred to be in that conversation. The person, one of the board members who was interviewing me was somebody who knew the professor who taught the life sciences course I had done. By the way, these both networks are very incestuous. Yeah. I've already met like six, he knew my, like in the year I did consulting, his partner's wife. Like, it was it's a very incestuous thing, but it gave me street cred, it gave me the language. Uh, especially if, you, if like me, you were trying to make a difficult switch. So incestuous that one of them is my senior, one of the persons that we have. Yeah, and like, like a lot of this is, and this is like in this case, like even this is a board member, is a 50 year old person who has no connection with me, but we have a common connection with somebody we know, right? Um, second, I think this is worth thinking about if you're considering an international MBA, is think about the whether, how married you are to the, the idea of being in the US. Immigration's changed a lot. In my case, it didn't matter. I always wanted to be in India, and I wanted my current role was amazing because I split time between India and the US. Uh, but I know for a fact the relations changed a lot. If your dream is to be in the US, I, I can talk in more length and what are the hacks to try, but it is not a gambling Right. I know for a fact HBS Pro, I, my, the batch that just graduated has had 15 people proactively make the decision to move back. Uh, because immigration can throw your career off track. Uh, if you don't get the visa, you keep get stuck. In the first two, three years after your MBA, you might be just chasing the immigration kind of and people's career is tricking off. Uh, so that's just my two cents. I know a friend who's really badly stuck, been post HBS, just with immigration, it's just not worked out. And not even like a yes and no, he's been stuck. And it's been difficult, uh, and he really wanted to be in the US, so it's kind of very difficult of that front. But yeah, and this is just like, think through that thing. Uh, it is a very real thing. Uh, and uh, if you're like me, and like, I, this is my dream situation that I can split time between Boston and Delhi. But if you really want to live in the US, you need to start thinking about clever hacks. Do an MSMBA. Gives you a STEM visa, gives you like some more time. But by and large, uh, yes, immigration is a very real one if you're doing an US MBA and if you really want to live in the US. Uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not a smooth sailing idea. Yeah, so uh, when I finished this week about five years and I told you I went really young. So because I've done a lot of experiments before, like maybe in each for India, young India tradition. So my goal coming out of the environment and landscape just around the time of graduation. Um, my goal was to whatever I do, I want to do it for some time. So after graduating, I'll be in the one company that I started where you all sitting right now, one company where I'm at, like where I'll be and see it transform from the stock price which was then and where it is now. 
And for me, it has been a very precious learning. That is not how usually post-pandemic careers go. Usually people switch around a lot because the expectations that you have after a decade uh, can be very different from what the real working life is. But for me, I, it was, I did not want to jump around after because I had done whatever I wanted to do. At, at a fairly young age, had a rapid pace in college now. And now, like, like, uh, like I'm, I am where I want to be, but in terms of reflection of the five, the things that you make to it are uh, meaningful bonds. People that you have. Right? I, I, I don't mention the number of people who helped me. I mean, how many people I would have tangibly able to help from that or whatever. Like, you know, people in the shape or form. And that's pretty useful. And the problem is that, you know, you should go through some cycles or ups, downs, it is usually not a hobby for anyone. That everything you know, basically is a bunch of roses and gold stuff. Usually that's not the real story. So even after that, you know, the biggest advantage is that financially, if you you know, if you strike well, it it is helpful. Like if your worst case scenario yeah. is still better than most people. So that is today at least the reality. And it's not insulated. You have to go to the program, no matter how much you fall, <coughs> unless until a tragedy befalls you, you do fine. You probably do very well. Right? But the question is that you usually measure yourself with your classmates. Right? The end the article. It's not like when you go to your university, you say, how did I do? No matter how you always see them, you don't compare yourself to that style. So that time, you will see that some people would have killed it, some people would be somewhere fine, somebody, some people have real tragedies and they all have it and some people say. But you just have a very, very, very wide spectrum. It is truly global. So for me, that has been the most interesting aspect of it. Just seeing so many different people do so many different things and going through all kinds of highs and lows, somebody in the Prime Minister of Georgia, like all these kinds of things, the fun stuff happens, which is <laughs> So, but you can even think you might just do it. But again, my goal is that for my next five years, how many people can tangibly help? Right? That I can do my issue, which is <coughs> help interesting people do interesting things. And also growing people. So you also have some sort of mission, pre MBA, post MBA, during MBA. Don't go, don't go without a product. I mean, like, you don't need to go to MBA. You need to have more macro. Okay, so I'm going to stop recording now.